I often like to hear the, the backstories of people that I respect and admire. And uh, one, of the, one of the men I admire most is a man by the name of Don Carson. He's uh, one of the most respected theologians of our day. Uh, but he started off, uh, his, his background uh, grew up in, uh, in Quebec, and uh, he did his uh, undergrad in math and chemistry at McGill University. While he was there, he had a desire to share his faith and to reach out to other students. And so he and another student started a, uh, a, a Bible study for seekers uh, in his university dorm room. He started off, the, I think they invited three people. Uh, by the end of the month, they had 16 uh, and he would uh, share his faith. They would open up the, the uh, scriptures together. But he said sometimes he got stuck. There were people that he wasn't able to get through to. He wasn't able to help them the way that he wanted. And whenever he got stuck with someone, he said, I would take them to a graduate student on campus by the name of Dave Ward. Dave Ward had this unique and powerful faith, and he was used of God to bring many people uh, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, Don tells a story that one day he went and uh, brought one of, one of these uh, students that he was uh, stuck with uh, to Dave Ward. And the, Dave said, so why have you come here? What, uh, what, 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 what is it that's, that's brought you? And he described a little bit about where he was at. He said, you have to understand, I come from a good home. We're church people. We're not believers in quite the way you are. You guys are, you're a little bit over the top. We don't, we don't believe in like a literal resurrection or anything like that. But quite frankly, we're a good family. My mom and dad love me. We're ethical people. Uh, we help old ladies across the street, you know, that kind of thing. We're, we're, we're decent, good, good people. And he said, frankly, I don't see that you, you have anything that I don't already have. Now, I don't know what you, how you would respond if someone were to describe their background like that and, and say, why, why, should I, why should I believe in Jesus the way you believe in Jesus? But Dave Ward had an interesting response. He just said, watch me. He said, I mean, really watch me. He said, I have an extra bed in my apartment, and I'd be willing to have you move in with me, my expense. Just, uh, just watch me live my life. Get up when I get up. Go to bed when I go to bed. See what is important to me. See what, what, what drives my conversation, my lifestyle, you watch my life for the next three months, and I dare you to tell me that I don't have something that I, I don't have something that, that you have. Well, the, in this case, the student decided not to move in with him, but he did decide to watch Dave Ward. He watched his life. He watched how he spoke, how he acted, and after uh, after some time. Uh, this young student, in having seen Jesus in his life, concluded, I want what he has. There's something about his life that gives me a sense of longing and desire for 
something greater and a recognition that this wasn't Dave Ward, that, that Jesus was uh, at work in his life. I think the example of people's lives is important. Sometimes we can hear about Jesus and we can read about Jesus, but we want to see it. And so the, the, the real life living out of gospel truths can make an impact in our lives. Still remember talking to a, uh, a, a senior Japanese pastor that I, I respected, and it was in the whole area of uh, marriage and parenting, and he said to me, I know what the Bible teaches. I've read it. I try and teach it. But honestly, I've never experienced it. So it's always difficult for me to talk about the way I want to talk about it. And it's difficult for me to, to fully understand for myself. I've never, I didn't, I didn't grow up with it. I didn't see it. I don't have the examples. And uh, it was another picture for me of the importance of a real living example. Want to see it. Where we've been through the fall is in this series called Inextinguishable Joy, and we've been studying through the uh, letter to the Philippians. There have been some incredible truths. It's a, it's, a, it's a letter of joy. It's a letter that doesn't just look at the externals of the Christian life. It gets to our heart and how we respond from the inside out in how we relate to to God and, and as, we, as we've seen, how he works from the inside out to change us. But maybe there's some of you here this morning that are still thinking, I, I hear what it says, I'd just like to see it. Maybe you'd say, maybe you hear the story of Dave Ward and you say, I'd kind of like to see Dave Ward. Like I, I'd like to see what it's like to, to move in with that guy and see what, what drives him and what, what it is that fuels his life. And so Paul, I think, sensing that with the church at Philippi, gets to this point in the letter, he's said a number of things, and now he's going to point to two very specific examples, a couple of Dave Wards, uh, one by the name of Timothy, the other by the name of Epaphroditus. And he's going to show how in these two people's lives, they are living out and communicating through their lives some of the truths that he's been trying to express. So if you have your Bibles with, with, uh, with you, it's, uh, we're in uh, Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verses 19 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse uh, 19 to 30. Philippians 2, 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, 
lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of God. Now Paul saw Jesus in the lives of these two disciples, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And and the joy I have is to report that I don't just see Jesus in Timothy and Epaphroditus, I see Jesus in many of your lives as well. It, It is one of the things that gives me a joy and privilege of serving Grace Baptist Church is the the genuine and real way that I see many of you living out these truths that we we consider week by week. And it makes it easier for other people to see Jesus as well. When you you live what the Bible describes here and you partner with God and cooperate, submitting yourself to him and the work that he does, it, it makes it easier for people to see Jesus. Now, the first way you help me to see Jesus is in your selfless concern for others. The way that you care for one another, the way that you uh, have a a genuine love for one one another. That makes me take notice because that's not the way people usually act. It's not the way people are typically wired. Many people are only out for themselves. Even when people do good, sometimes they're doing it because they want to look good, or they want to be seen to be good, or uh, any number of things that really it's about them. But I see genuine love. I see a a genuine desire to to serve in people's lives. There are many different forms, but when you just look at at the world, selfishness is is the default setting. It's, it's a place that we go to when the Spirit isn't in control. Now, as Paul writes to the Philippians here to tell him he's about to send Timothy to him, he says in verse 20, I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. At this point, there were perhaps hundreds in the church in, in Rome. Paul will name at the end of, end of the letter to the Romans uh, 26 of them that he knows by name. And yet he says, there's no one who, will, who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. In verse 21, he gives the reason, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So easy to become self-absorbed, wrapped up in your own stuff, focused on your own issue, issues, or focused on your own dream. And, and that kind of self-absorption had taken over many of the people. But Timothy was different. Timothy seemed to have this interest in others. He took a burden for the people around him. He did seek the interests of Jesus Christ. And probably for me, the thing that stands out in Timothy's life more than anything else is a kind of a picture of this. Uh, It was when Paul invited him along on one of his missionary journeys. And you might think, hey, going going on a missionary journey with Paul, Maybe that's not such a big deal. Uh, Maybe he was in it for the thrill of it, for just an exotic adventure. And and there could have been that that kind of of, of motivation. There are different different reasons that people do different things. 
But Paul gave him a very specific requirement and asked him to do something before he went on this journey. Because he knew that this missionary uh, adventure that he would be taking him on would not just be ministering to Gentiles, but that they would be going into synagogues and ministering to Jews. And that was a problem because Timothy's father was Greek. So he hadn't been circumcised. So he asks Timothy, as a condition for going on this missionary journey with me, I'd kind of like you to be circumcised so that when we go and we minister to Jews, it'll just, it'll just remove a lot of the distractions. It'll make things a whole lot uh, more natural and, and freer for us to minister to them. And Timothy went along with it. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, maybe some of you think, yeah, I, I did that, or I have, I have friends that did that. And I say, well, yeah, maybe, maybe you did as a baby. But imagine now you're an adult male uh, in an age where they don't have anesthetics and painkillers like we have. Imagine getting circumcised to go, to go on and, and do some ministry. Like, some people balk at the idea of getting a police check to do uh, work in our, in our children's ministries, right? This is just a whole different level of commitment. And yet, this, was, this is what Timothy was like. He had that sense of willing to sacrifice, willing to, to do what, what's ta- what it takes. And it's the kind of heart and the kind of spirit that I see in many of you. It, it's the kind of thing that when I see it, helps me to see Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy shared Jesus' burden for the world, and he also had a genuine concern for others. But notice when Paul says in verse 20, he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. It's, he's not genuinely concerned for the Philippians because he had this natural history with them. It, it wasn't as if he was from Philippi. He was miles and miles away from there in terms of where he had grown up. But God had given Timothy a deep love for others. He loved them and he had a love to serve. In verse 22, Paul says, You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy's character was proven. It was tested. It was shown by the way he lived and he had dealt with all kinds of things. And as as Paul reflects on how Timothy serves, he says, He's like, a, he's like a son to me. He has, he has this heart of just, just desiring to, to serve people. And he knows that the Philippians would recognize that. He knew that his reputation would speak to that. Interestingly, though, what he's actually doing here is not what you might think that Timothy is doing. You might think at this point, Timothy is, is like a, a son to a father in that he's out leading some big evangelistic crusades in Rome, that he's doing some big and and dramatic ministry. But likely at this point, the bulk of Timothy's ministry consisted of preparing meals, doing dishes, doing all of the kinds of things that Paul, under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Praetorian soldier, an imperial uh, guard, the kinds of things that Paul couldn't do. Mundane things very ordinary things, very things that you didn't get a lot of glamour for, not a lot of applause for. But like the circumcision, Timothy faithfully did them. 
he faithfully submitted and had a desire to, uh, to serve the people around him. I wonder if you've spent time with people like Timothy. I wonder if you've seen people like this. We live in a world where everybody is often out for themselves, trying to get ahead, trying to stay above water, trying to deal with their own issues, trying to live the dream. And that's what makes people like Timothy so amazing. But that's what God does in our lives. One of, one of the privileges I mentioned is serving with people like Timothy. I, I see Jesus in the way that many of you make room for other people in your lives. You let people in. You welcome people into your, into your life and relationship. You, you reach out and, and you welcome in. I see Jesus in the way you pray for mission fields you've never visited. You, you take on burdens that are not your own. You care for people and you pray for needs that, that have now become a part of you. I see Jesus in the way you sacrifice time that you don't have. Some of the busiest people in this, in this church, they're, they're busy because they're, they have busy careers, they have busy lives, and yet they sacrifice their time to serve. I see Jesus when you do that. I see Jesus in your selfless concern for others. I also see Jesus in your partnership for the gospel. In a world where everybody's doing their own thing, where we are, as we have said, radically individual, it stands out to me when I just see God developing a unity among people and people serving as a team, people coming together, not all running in different directions, but sharing common burden, common vision. I see Jesus in your partnership for the gospel. Now, in verses 19 to 24, we met Timothy. Now, Paul will introduce another person, Epaphroditus. In verse 25, he uses five descriptors to help us to see his life. He's my brother, my fellow, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, and minister to my need. And Paul chooses each of those words to describe Epaphroditus, and he chooses those words with precision. I want you to first see the closeness Paul felt with him. He calls him my brother. It's like Epaphroditus, who was, again, from another city, from a different church, from a different setting. He had become like family to him. But it's not just the word, uh, my brother. Even when he's Using other words to describe him, he doesn't just call him a worker, he's a fellow worker. When he calls him a soldier, he's not just a soldier, he's a fellow soldier. There is that sense of Epaphroditus was the kind of guy, he didn't just do ministry on his own, he wasn't independent, he wasn't doing his own thing, he wanted to come alongside. He joined in and shared that common spirit, that common vision. And again, for us in a world where we all want to go in a million different directions, when you have that, that, that spirit of cooperation, spirit of unity in serving, it's such a, an, an amazing thing. It's remarkable also because Paul was Jewish and Epaphroditus was a Greek. Their cultural backgrounds were different. Their religious backgrounds were different. And yet God had 
overcome all of that. Through their faith in Jesus Christ, it didn't matter what their background was. Now, Paul says, we're like family. We stand together. We, we, we came from different places, but Jesus has put us on the same path. And we have this common bond of unity. And again, I see that in this church. I see that, that in your lives. And when I see it, I, I see Jesus. This is not the way people normally act. We're, we're, we're a divided culture. And yet I see unity in, in your lives. And it tells me that Jesus Christ is, is at work in your midst. God still seeks to do that. Ephesians 2.19 speaks of God taking strangers and aliens, which is a great phrase. Uh, And he says he takes these strangers and aliens and he makes them members of the household of God. Takes people who otherwise would have no connections with one another. People who were different backgrounds, different, different socioeconomic classes, different everything, and he puts them together in family. That's what God does. That's why we have, we have greeters at the church. That's why we have newcomer luncheons. We, we, we do that because it doesn't matter where people come as strangers and aliens to our ministry here, we want them to experience family. We want them to come near. It doesn't matter what, what people's background is. We don't, we don't want people to just sit on the sidelines. We want people to... Come, come into the family. We want people to, to be members. We want people to feel apart. Like, this is something that I own. I'm, 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 I'm committed to this. This is my family. And we see that happening in many of your lives. Romans 12.5 describes the kind of bond God seeks to forge among believers. It says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We, we belong to one another, he's saying there. He, we, we are, we're not just all off doing our own thing, separate and individual, me and God and nobody else. He says, we belong to one another. That kind of language, in case you didn't already know, scares the average Canadian to death, right? We don't want to belong to anyone. We don't trust anyone. We don't want to be obligated to anyone. We want to be free to do our own thing and go in our own lane. And hopefully nobody gets too close and nobody gets in my way. Paul said that's not, that's not what God does. That's not what the church is. That's not how you live the Christian life. He says that, no, we become members and we belong to one another. I belong to you. You belong to me. We, we, we have, we have these, these sense of mutual obligation, mutual commitment, mutual concern, and mutual love. And again, I see that taking place in, 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 in this church. I see it taking place in community. I see it taking place in our life groups. And, I, and I, when I see it, I, I see Jesus Christ. I see that's, that's the kind of thing God does That is not where we are as a culture. That's not how we normally act. These are the things that God does. For some of you, maybe that kind of belonging may seem so foreign, it's hard to even, like, what does that even mean? What does it mean that we belong to one another? 
what's, what's this kind of cooperation and coming together as family and being, what does that even look like? And Paul gives a picture of it in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's kind of mutual concern where your trials become my trials. Your joys become my joys. When you celebrate, I, I feel it. When you are hurting, I feel it. And it's not the, the verse and, and, and this teaching. It's not just talking about the pastor. It's not, not just talking like, I, I feel everything of everybody else in the congreg- congregation. It's saying, this is how we relate to one another. This is a kind of concern that we have for one another. We all bear this because we feel the bond of family. We feel the, the kind of mutual concern that the scriptures talk about. And it's what I see happening in many of you. I, I love coming in this morning and hearing about a, a celebration that took place for another person and, and knowing that that the person wasn't celebrating alone. I love coming in and hearing of someone in need and they tell me, you wouldn't believe the support that I've received. I I, I love that people carry that sense of mutual concern. And when I see it, I see Jesus Christ. I know that's not, that, that doesn't spring out of us naturally. We're selfish people. Human beings are out for themselves. And when I see that kind of bearing of one another's burdens, I see Jesus in your midst. So Epaphroditus was a brother to Paul. He was family when Paul really needed family. If you're, if you're in, under house arrest, chained to a guard, awaiting a prison, de- a death sentence, you would like to have a brother. You'd like to have a son. And Timothy and Epaphroditus were those. But he doesn't leave it there. God brings us together as family, but we're a family on mission. It's nice to have someone that'll celebrate with you, but if after the celebration they always leave you doing the dishes, you're kind of wondering, well, what kind of family member is this, you know? And, and, and so when Paul goes on to describe Epaphroditus, he says, he's a fellow worker. Like, I don't just get warm fuzzies from this guy. Like when there's a job to do, he doesn't just leave me doing it. He steps up. He's, he's there serving alongside me. He's there bearing the weight, taking on the tasks, doing the things that he can do. And he does them faithfully. He's a fellow worker. He stands in the trenches with me. I'm confident that there's no one here this morning that could say, Fellow worker, I don't know. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm I'm confident that there's no one here that can say that because week by week and throughout the week, many of you, uh, and I would say all of you, are exposed to people like Epaphroditus. You're exposed to fellow workers. You're exposed to people who regularly give their lives in service for the cause of Christ. You see fellow workers. You see people giving of their time. You see people serving. We've got a lot of Dave Wards here, sacrificing their time to serve together. 
And when we see them, we see Jesus. We, we recognize this is what God does in people's lives. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I, I got just a blessing this week as, as a group of elders. We were, we were pouring over elder nominations. And so I'm going through all of the nomination forms that you wrote, and I'm just recognizing, like, you are seeing Jesus Christ in the lives of the people in this congregation. Uh, one person wrote of one person, he, he's approachable and is always willing to help. Uh, another person wrote of another person, he's always he- extending help to all who need with Christ's love. And I, I was just reading through nomination form after. Usually they're the kinds of things people say about themselves. You know, I'm really, this wasn't any, of, any self-congratulation. It was all of you looking around at others in the congregation and lots of others in the congregation and saying, I see Christ in this person. I see faithfulness. I see a commitment to, uh, to serve. I see a commitment to unity, and it's beautiful. And, and I was just blessed reading the nomination forms. You know, this is kind of one of these administrative tasks. You, you think, oh, I kind of, no, this is, it, it just impacts your heart to see see people looking around and seeing what God is doing in people's lives and affirming it. In addition to calling Epaphroditus his brother and fellow worker, Paul also calls him his fellow soldier. I love this term because Paul probably got it. Where do you think he got it, right? He is chained 24-7 to an imperial, an imperial soldier. He sees his armor. He sees his sweat and his scars and and his hardened, you know, battle-weary disposition. And he sees just soldier after soldier. And then he looks over to Epaphroditus and he says, he's that kind of guy. Like, some people will serve when it's easy. Some people will, will, will do the, the, the simple tasks. And, and, and that's really good and, and important. But Epaphroditus wasn't just that. He was a fellow soldier. Many people are good until the bullets start flying and they're like, okay, that's enough for me. That, you know, I kind of wasn't really looking for that level of commitment here. And yet Epaphroditus was the kind of person who said, no, no, I'm, I'm all in. I know this is a battle. I know that we're at war here in a spiritual sense. And when it starts to heat up, I'm not going to be turning and running the other way. Paul knew with Epaphroditus, he's got your back. He'll take on the tough assignments. And many of you are just, you, you don't get to see all of the different things that happen in our church. You don't, you are blessed to not see some of the, the challenges. You don't see some of the, the darts that Satan throws at people in our congregation. But I want to tell you, there, there are, people in this congregation who stand as soldiers in the face of that. I, I, I love to, see, I would just say our ministry leaders, they, they, they will walk into some thorny situations. They will take on some difficult tasks and they do it with grace and they do it with joy because God is at work in them. And I love that. I, I see Jesus Christ when people do that. They're, 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 they're workers, but they're more than workers. They're soldiers. They, they don't turn and run when, when 
the heat gets turned up and things get difficult. And when I see that, I see Jesus Christ in this place. I see Jesus Christ in your midst. So I've said that I see Jesus in your selfless concern for others and in your partnership for the gospel. But I also see Jesus in your gracious response to hardship. If anyone were to come to me, uh, whether it's from the community or someone, and they said, you know, you church people, you're just kind of playing at religion. If anyone were to ever come to me and say that, I would just love to walk them over and, and take them with me to some of the suffering believers in our congregation. Because many of you, you, you suffer differently than the world. The way that you respond to hardship is different than, than, than the world does. It just, it's just different. And it helps me to see Jesus Christ. As I was preparing this sermon, I got a call back from someone that I had reached out to. I had called someone, uh, didn't know what was happening in their life, but wanted to just check in on them and see how they were doing, and just learned of terrible trial that they were going through. Terrible. You know, just one thing after another had hit them, and I just couldn't imagine. The first thing you do is, well, what would I do if I, if I was faced with this? And, and uh, I, I have to tell you, at the end of about a 30-minute call, I had tears in my eyes because I'd heard them not just list the difficulties, but as they talked about what was taking place, they did so with a sense of deep hope, of, of an unexplainable joy, of a, of a conviction of the faithfulness of God in the midst of difficulty. And I would just, I, I, I kind of reached out to try and encourage, encourage the person if they needed encouraging, comfort them if they needed comforting. And I, and I just came out of this conversation just so deeply moved. When I see people responding to hardship with the, with, in a way that is just so foreign to anything in our culture, I see Jesus. I recognize that's the kind of thing that God does. Epaphroditus was remarkable in this regard. Likely on the journey from Philippi to Rome, he had fallen ill. He had, in fact, become very sick. He would have been, nobody would have faulted him if it, having got, come through such a terrible sickness, he was going to say, I'm going to pamper myself for a little while. I'm, maybe I'll go to the spa. Maybe I'll go down to the Roman baths. You know, I'll hang out and just kind of take things easy for a while. Instead, he was agonizing over the Philippians because they were worried about him. Uh, Paul writes in verse 26, He has been longing for you all and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Now, maybe you're thinking, maybe that's just language, maybe he's just, you know, going on a little bit. But we know that Epaphroditus' pain was real because the word he uses here, distressed, it's only used two other times in the New Testament, both of those times to describe the agony that Jesus Christ felt in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. He was feeling the, the, the pain of another's pain. He agonized over the Philippians' concern for him. 
he had that heart, even in the midst of his own recovery, even as he was dealing with all, all that was going on. When I said that he was sick, you might have gotten the impression maybe it was just a light cold. Maybe he just had, you know, a sniff stuffed up nose, a little bit of cough. Uh, but in verse 27, Paul actually says he'd been near to death. In verse 30, Paul says he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Again, most likely on the trip from Philippi to Rome, he had come down with this illness. Often as you were traveling by ship, you would be in close quarters with other people in not very hygienic circumstances and situations, and it was common to contract quite serious diseases. And in the first century, if you got near to death with some kind of disease or sickness, there typically wasn't any coming back from it. Like, medicine wasn't, wasn't that advanced. It wasn't a lot that doctors could do for you. So if you were kind of at death's door, you were going to be dead soon. And yet, Timothy, or, or Epaphroditus came to that point. God sp- spared him. It said God had mercy on him. But when he recovers, he doesn't just agonize about the Philippians and what they've said to him. He says, I better go see them. I'm going to volunteer for a return trip to Philippi to go check on them because I think they're worried about me. And you're thinking, like, that trip between Philippi and Rome almost cost you your life. Surely you want to turn, surely you don't want to take that kind of chance again. Surely you're going to feel a little bit gun-shy. And Epaphroditus says, no, I think I need to make this trip. God gives us grace to confront the risks of serving him. That's what God does in our lives. In Rome, some people took risks, but usually only for business. People would take risks if it meant a big financial reward. People take risks if it would help their career, help them get ahead. And it's similar today. People will take risks to get ahead in their careers. They'll, they'll take a risk if it might mean a promotion. I mean, there have been some tragic, tragic uh, news headlines of people taking risks to make, get a really exotic selfie, right? We, we will take risks to do those kinds of things. People typically don't take risks to serve. They don't take risks to... If, if there's not something in it for them. But I see Christ in the kinds of risks that I see in this congregation. I, I remember traveling into the, the region that had been affected by the tsunami after the disaster, and because of the nuclear disaster, we had to carry Geiger, Geiger counters in our pockets at all times, and there was this, they would train us, there was these little... Uh, sound that would go off if the radiation level went too high. And we would pull it out every, every hour or so and see what the, what the radiation level was and how safe it was. There was, there was a sense of risk involved with the, with the work. But in a sense, I see many of you taking greater risks, t- greater risks to share your faith in, it, with coworkers. Uh, greater risks to make Christ known among people close to you. There's a a professional risk that you take on. 
There's a social risk that you take on when you make Christ known. And when I see you doing it, I say, that's so un-Canadian. That's, that's not what people normally do. And it helps me to see Christ in you. That's, that's the kind of thing that God does in a person's life. And when you see it, you see the power of God. I don't know whether any of you are wondering what the Christian life really looks like. What's, see, the, see the words on the pages? I just don't know what it really looks like lived out. If you wish you could meet Dave Ward, then I think you're in the right place. I just want to encourage you to get a little closer to some of the people at the core of this ministry. I want to invite you to, to, to get involved in a life group with, with some of the people here. I want to encourage you to get alongside someone in service. It, not just to serve, because we, we do need people to serve, but so that you can see people's lives up close. And when you see those lives, you will not see perfect people. It's not what this is about. Timothy wasn't perfect. Epaphroditus wasn't perfect. You won't see perfect people, but I, th- I think you'll see Jesus. I think you'll see what God can do in a person's life to change them. Because that's what I have the privilege of seeing day by day. You'll see the selfless concern that Paul saw in Timothy. You'll see ordinary people together as family, loving each other and caring for one another and partnering together for the gospel the way Epaphroditus was. And every so often, you'll see someone's gracious response to hardship and you'll say, where does that power come from? And you'll remind yourself, that's what Jesus did. That's what he does in a person's life. And it will move you to become more like him, to trust him the way he would have us trust him. Because that's what I see God doing in my heart as I see Jesus in your midst. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the reality of people's faith that I see in this congregation. I thank you for the way that people care for one another. I thank you for the way that people treat each other as family. I thank you for the way that people sacrifice to serve. And I thank you for the hope and trust they display in trials. I'm thanking you, Father, because I know that you're the one that does all of these things. We don't worship human human examples, but often they help us to see Jesus Christ. They help us to see your power to change. They help us to see the transformation you're seeking to bring. You're the one who changes us as we submit our lives to you in faith. So give us the courage to keep changing and help us to keep our eyes on Jesus who's doing this great work. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.